Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's time for the unofficial 40, Soonerscoop.com's very official recruiting podcast featuring Soonerscoop.com recruiting publisher, Josh McQuistian. Get your recruiting fix from the leader in Sooner Recruiting. It's the unofficial 40 with your hosts, Soonerscoop.com publishers, Gary Murdoch and Josh McQuistian. Eddie All right, it is uh, Happy St. Patrick's Day to you as we're recording this on uh, St. Patrick's Day. And uh, also, March Madness is officially kicked off. So uh, we are joined by the entire crew once again. And uh, Josh McQuistion joins us from uh, his home base. Josh, how are we doing today? Josh, are you oh, I'm good, good. Had the audio on mute. Josh is having a real problem with technology <laughs> so far today. Oh, not my day. Uh, Eddie Radosevich. At least it's Friday. Is it toe? Hello, hello. He's not asking me for money today, so apparently he's doing okay in the NCAA tournament. Not bad, not bad at all. Joe Duvall is here. I got put a bar of soap in my mouth after last week, so I should be good to go. Yeah, just watch yourself today, pal. All right. No f bombs. Going to keep those to a minimum. Good. I won't have to do any post editing like last time. Uh, we're kind of sitting here. It's the NCAA tournament time. I don't know what you boys have planned uh, for today. I would love it if I could just go hang out at a bar. And I, actually, I'd come hang out with you, Eddie. Go go to that Buffalo Wild Wings up there on Northwest Expressway. It's a good one. It's a oh. really good one. I had some burger there yesterday. It was unbelievable. Like the meltdown, I think they call it. Yeah, I looked like it up on patty melt with like a mm. ring. Uh, it's like a mozzarella stick, but shaped in the in the shape of a bun or of a, a meat sandwich. It looked really good in the picture that I they have on the. I can't uh, even talk on the. Uh, on a meat sandwich, it's beef patty. The Buffalo <laughs> Buffalo Wild Wings website. They had a really good picture of it. It was good, man. You know their their menu is really good when they have the menu, or you have to pick what they have a picture of. Like you can't go off the off the radar. Yeah. By the way, Edlin uh, sponsorships uh, are available for the uh, podcast. So there you go. Uh, no, it's 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 been interesting, kind of watching the tournament. Yesterday was. I, let's just say it sucked yesterday. Other than Northwestern and Vanderbilt, the tournament sucked. The best part was watching Doug Collins in the stand yep. try not to cry. That was awesome. As his son won, which I'm sure just infuriated Eddie Radosevich. Uh As somebody that had Vanderbilt, yeah, it kind of infuriated me. I would have, I would have appreciated more if he was crying because they lost, but it's no big deal. Special moments between father and son. Uh, really, really need some teams to come through today, so we'll be we'll be okay. I feel like we need to discuss one major thing that I've noticed on on all these star ratings on the podcast is that people want to hear more from Josh McQuistion. That can't be. There's no way that's right. 
Of course, they probably just I think nothing. It's, it's probably because they want you to just talk recruiting for an hour and a half. Well, and this is the worst possible podcast to have this conversation because literally this might be the most quiet week in recruiting I can remember because, you know, coaches are like everybody else. They're taking their spring break. They're relaxing. I mean, they're still talking to kids, but you haven't seen a bunch of offers go out. Nobody's visited campus this week. It's been a, I mean, like the scoop was all about what's coming next week and beyond. And there was almost no talk of, well, this happened this week. There's none of that. I think basketball recruiting was by far more interesting over the last 48 hours. Well, yeah, and that's, you know, Joe, that's kind of the thing. Like, the, when people approach me, like, you know, when I'm out and about and they want to, you know, NCAA tournaments going on, the first thing they always ask me is, God, what happened to OU's basketball program? Are they, are they, they suck from now on? And I'm just like, no, it's like, they just have a lot of young guys, and you know they they lost a lot. It's like people, I guess they just didn't pay attention to how OU lost games this year. I mean the 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 loss at Texas, the loss at Iowa State, where they were up big uh, and just melted down. It was just that was a team that didn't know how to finish games. But to me, it was never really a lack of talent. Very rarely were they just run out of the gym. Uh, that Florida game that happened, yeah. uh, it happened maybe a couple other times, but very rarely did that happen. A lot of the times, they, you're right, Carrie, they would even hold lead in, leads in games, and they just they couldn't close out games. They couldn't finish them. Uh, they led Kansas at half in both games, and they should have won in Lawrence probably if they didn't blow it down the stretch. This team has capabilities, but it's also important to remember that they're very, very young because not only did they lose Buddy Heald, they lost Isaiah Cousins, who played in more games than any other OU basketball player ever. They lost Ryan Spangler, who's one of the top rebounders. In Oklahoma, I think he's number four all-time in Oklahoma history. They lost Steve Henson and Lou Hill to head coaching jobs. They were assistants last year. That's replacing a heck of a lot. And they're all, if you also know, Jordan Woodard was hurt for uh, the last half of the season, basically. So I, And out for undisclosed reasons for, for other parts of it. Right, and even when he was on the court, he didn't look like the Jordan Woodard of old. So He really had that stretch, West Virginia, where they went on the road, beat mm -hmm. West Virginia. Uh, then he kind of, I can't remember the game they played after that one. But it was like there was a two-game stretch there where Jordan Woodard was kind of like the guy that you thought, okay, this is what you're going to get out of a senior, out of a guy that started so many games in his career. And it's just like he just I, – I think part of it was mental. It was obviously physical, but he just didn't have a great year. I mean, I think he, Christian James, you know, you expected him to step up. And you remember going back to the beginning of the season when they had that – scrimmage at Oregon when he has apparently scored 25 points or whatever. And he didn't score over 20 the entire year. He didn't have a game over 20. And really, it was a team that had to find out that Cam Augusti was really their best player down the stretch. Yeah, the first half of the year, they gave Christian James every opportunity to be the guy. He played 30 minutes. Uh, he just, it wasn't working out. And when they put Augusti in the lineup, you could see that, that he just had a different level to his game, especially this year. And I think Christian James only topped 10 points one time over the last uh, 15 games or so. So I, it's the combination. Christian Doolittle gave you more mm -hmm. you know, than he did this year. Christ, I, think, I think the freshmen in general were the bright spot. right? I mean, Christian, Do Christian Doolittle and Cam Mcgusty both uh, looked like they're going to be really good players in the Big 12 for a few years. Uh, Jordan Shepard had some bright spots. I think also uh, Jamani McNeese had a few bright yeah, spots he did. where he showed that, okay, he, that, that, that potential that everybody's talked about for so long, you saw flashes of that. That, that game at West Virginia – 
where they won, they beat number seven West Virginia on the road. Uh, I think Jamani had close to a double double in the first half of that game. So whenever he can realize that he's a six ten guy with some athleticism that really nobody else in this conference has, he can put it together. But the thing with him is kind of getting to focus on basketball, um, and I think that that's that's going to be you know that's kind of what happens when you lose all that leadership from the year before. Kind of a team can wander in the wilderness a little bit, and I think that's what happened to OU this year. And look, Long Kruger is coaching as many games right now as Bob Stoops is. So, I mean, there's a reason to be disappointed in what happened with the basketball team this year. You don't have to be in love with the job Long Kruger did this year. He just set a record for most losses in a season. I just would say don't don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Just just let it take its course. He sh- he's shown everywhere he's been that he, this doesn't become a trend. He hasn't lost had losing seasons back-to-back years since – his first three years at Panhandle State or something. So I'll just say, you know, Trey Young coming in with this young talent, it's it trust the process, which is kind of a cliche, but that's what I would say here. Any person that talks like Long Kruger should lose his job after this year, uh, come on. I personally want to punch in the face and then strangle. Like that that's the dumbest thing I think somebody it's called can say. assault, Eddie. Huh? It's called is, assault. Is no, it'd be to called, the point it'd be of called homicide. <laughs> I was gonna say uh, is them. he going right that's assault. Yeah, I, I, because I think that's the dumbest thing. Like, if you say that, if you post that on the board, breaking news, I don't take you seriously anymore. I will not respond to any of your posts. Well, I probably will, but <laughs> Capel had two horrid seasons before they fired fired him, and it was only because he was mired in a bunch of NCAA scandals. Kruger won't be in any NCAA scandals, yeah. and I can almost guarantee you he won't have back to back years the way Capel did. So I, it's just let let next year play out. He just landed. Uh, you know the second or the highest ranked recruit in Oklahoma to ever commit to OU. So just just let it play out. Let's see what happens jo- next year. Joe, be really bold. I know there's so much you can't foresee, and trust me, I hate when I get these hypotheticals. Where do you see OU next year? Like, uh, yeah, like how much difference can Trey Young? Make? I mean, how how good are they? I think they're a tournament team next year for sure. I, I I not for sure, but I think that that's where they should be. I think they should be a tournament team next year. Uh, there won't be. A better backcourt, or there there might not be a better backcourt uh, in the Big Twelve than Trey Young and Cam Mcgusty, uh, Christian Doolittle in the post, and Kendeem Latin's coming back. While he had a disappointing offensive season, he was still a guy that gets you nine rebounds a game, a couple blocks a game, and he's coming back for a senior year. So uh, I think that there is a lot of reason to believe that these games that they these close games that they couldn't pull out this year, they'll find that uh, margin next year. 20 wins, I would say, is about right. 19, 20 wins is kind of what you would, would hope for overall. You know, the one thing that I think I am worried about, though, with uh, with this team coming back, everybody mostly seems like they're going to come back. You know, I think there's some some outliers possibly that could end up transferring, but I think everybody just expects Trey Young to come in, average 35 a game, They're and he kind of just take over. I, I think Trey Young's really, really good. Don't get me wrong, but I just don't think that he's going to be a guy that comes in and averages thirty points a game or twenty-five points a game. I don't because I don't think Trey Young's a one-and-done guy. So I don't know. I, I just think that there's going to be a very high expectations, rightfully so, five-star kid. But at the same time, you need Christian James, you need Cameron McGusty, you need Richard Odom to all make those steps in their own games. To come to to bring it all together, I guess is the best way to I'm, put it. I'm really interested to see what he is in terms of a floor leader. Like you know, in terms of what type of offense is he going to be capable of running? Uh, can he get other people involved? Can he keep other people involved? I mean, like I, you know, watching the Thunder last night. Like you watch Russell Westbrook right now. Yeah, he can take over a game, uh, and he can shoot 30 shots a game. And he can score 40 or even 50. 
but that's not always the best thing when you have one guy that can do that. The Thunder are better when he's getting other people involved like he did last night. Mm-hmm. And, he's, and he's scoring 20, 25, you know, taking 12. I think he took 17 shots or something last night. But you can you can be the best player in the country and score a whole lot of points. It doesn't mean your team's going to be any good. Is Trey Young going to be a guy that's coachable to the point and he's gotten criticized some, you know, in high school for this. Is he going to be a guy that can make everyone else around him better, or is he going to be a guy that comes in here looking to be to, to be the star of the show? I think that's a fair question. Uh, it's one of those things where you, every high school kid, especially in basketball, that that's good, they're going to dominate most of their shots for the high school team. It's just the way that works, and so going into a situation where you're going to, I mean, I think he's still probably going to shoot fifteen. 20 times a game, but he's going to have to find ways to make sure to get other guys involved. I think the big thing for Trey Young coming in and, and talking with you know the, the people at OU, they all year kind of had this feeling that they just were missing something on offense, that, that they just they weren't they didn't quite have what they needed on offense. And I can tell you for a fact that multiple times uh, it was mentioned to me that you know if Trey Young was on this team, we would have won that game. Uh, you know, just a few points here, a bucket here, there. That's the difference. A free throw late, a free throw late. That's that's what he can bring now. It's 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 going to be a different style of basketball than uh, what they played last year, but it's not too different. Buddy Heald kind of had a similar style. He's a bigger guy, but where if he had a shot, he was going to take it. And I think that's yeah. what's going to happen with Trey Young. Um, and what's going to be interesting is where does Cameron Mcgusty find a role here? Because he had a, a really, really good freshman season, and a lot of that was dominating the ball, shooting off dribble. So how does he kind of play off of Trey, maybe more of a catch-and-shoot role? How does that kind of stuff play Well, you know, out? And like Buddy and Isaiah Cousins had a few years together to, right. to kind of figure each other out and what their roles were. Uh, it'll point. be interesting because McGusty really has proven himself in college and Trey Young hasn't, but you got to know that Trey Young's coming in here saying, you know, I'm the guy and everyone else is going to help me. Is McGusty going to handle that well? Yeah. Well, and I mean, don't forget this. This team is going to return what eighty six point seven percent of their scores. So I think that you know, getting him in on June first will be really important. I think you know, I, hell, I might even go out to a couple practices. I'm interested to just see how everything works together during the summer summer months, and then leading into uh, the season next year. And I, I don't know. I, I, I don't think there's any doubt though that they have the guy in place that can can put this whole thing together make it co-east together and, and this is this is a, a team and an offense like you mentioned with latin with mcneese they can run you know pick and roll stuff uh is let me ask you guys because you've seen him more in person does trey young have the handles does he have the patience to be able to kind of do some of that stuff offensively he has the handles for sure uh i mean p- patience it you know he, i don't think he has um, poor patience or anything like that. Uh, I think it's something he's going to have to continue to learn because uh, he's. It, it's one of those things. He's so good uh, with one tool. He's such a good shooter that sometimes in high school he would shoot double team thirty feet away, yeah. and it still would work out fine. And that's just something he he, he can't do here. If if the pick and roll is not there, if the guy is kind of hedging out further, is he just going to go say, okay, I'm just going to shoot this from thirty feet, or is he going to try to you know move the offense a little more? Those are the those are really. Uh, where OU's going to have to find themselves. I thought you made a great point about, you know, Buddy and Isaiah had to play a few years before that thing really became a well-oiled 
machine. And I think of, you know, Trey. Well, I make great points. No, Thank you, you always do. And the thing about Trey is like his kind of NBA comparison is just style plays Steph Curry. And if you remember Steph, when he first came to the NBA, it wasn't like he was who he is now immediately. I mean, he was a, he was a good rookie and a good player that you could tell he was going to be a, a great scorer. But it wasn't, he, he had to he kind of. He wasn't an MVP. Right. He had to figure out kind of how he was going to find his shots, where the space is, where the, the speed of the game and that kind of thing. I think that's maybe similar to how. Uh, Trey's career goes to Teddy's He's got to develop a style for right. the next level. Exactly. So I don't think he'll be a one and done. I'm kind of with Eddie. It'll probably maybe two, three years uh, where you really see him start to explode and uh, really come into his game. You know, it's really interesting, too, watching him play with Norman North as opposed to, like, I remember watching him play with uh, the Mokin Elite over the summer in the, uh, I think it was the Peach Jam or one of the AA, big AAU tournaments. And it, I don't want to say that Trey, Trey was bored by playing with Norman North, but I definitely think, and same thing for the for the for that matter with Brady Manick and and seeing some of the write ups about him this summer, it just seems like there's only so much you can do when you're getting triple teamed and quadruple teamed by guys. And you know, with playing with those AAU teams, it seems like a you're obviously playing with better competition. But it just seemed like they played different styles of game, and it's going to be interesting to see what where the I guess the that happy medium is between the style of play and, and what they're able to do once they make the, the jump into the next step. And, you know, you you add the Hans Pola guy, and I don't think anybody I – don't, I don't even know if the guy's real, to be honest. Yeah. But it's going <laughs> to be interesting to see what he brings. I mean, you he's can't – He's just a prospect profile that somebody made up. Yeah, I mean, they keep saying he's from Finland, but you can't find any video of him. There's, like, I think one video on YouTube, and it's, like – Grainy, the, like, yeah, the worst quality yeah, that you can ever quality. find. A FIBA international game he played in for Finland. That the only thing I know about Hans Pola is they just say he was bigger than they expected when he showed up on campus. You know, sometimes guys are listed 6'10", 260, 270. You think, oh, okay, he's probably going to be six eight, two thirty. But they said he was every bit of six ten, two seventy. So at least he's going to have size uh, coming in. And, and to Eddie's point about the AAU stuff with Trey, and on Trey's AAU team was Michael Porter the number one player in the country. He's played with the best players in the country. It's not just like he plays with Norman North all the time. So uh, that will help his adjustment. And kind of what Josh alluded to earlier, Oklahoma and Michael Porter Jr. aren't are, – are, they're, they're flirting a little bit here. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. Uh, signed a letter of intent to Washington in uh, November. Uh, his dad – Which was, he hasn't been released which from. Which he hasn't been released from yet. Which – Probably something we should put out there. Makes recruiting someone very difficult when they haven't been right. released Co- from coaches, an LOI. Coaches can't talk to Michael Porter. If you'll notice, a lot of the reports come out, Trey Young's talking to Michael Porter. Trey Young's recruiting Michael Porter. If he's still in his uh, letter of intent to Washington, the coaches cannot talk to him. Now, the, his dad was an assistant at Washington where he lost his job, when, too, when Lorenzo Romar got fired. So the speculation is maybe the coaches can talk through him and Trey can talk through Junior um, and that th- they could get that relationship to work. Now, the problem for OU is they're going to have to find a transfer to get Michael, and his brother's probably coming with him and reclassifying for 2017. She's going to have to find two transfers. And then their dad likely wants to be their assistant coach. That's why people think Missouri's going to be the, the ultimate choice here because Missouri uh, and uh, Porter Sr. are very close in their talks for a job. But Oklahoma um, has got his ear. Trey Young has got his ear. Michael Porter's listening to OU. That's the number one player in the country for 2017. And, I, you know, my, while it's probably not going to happen, I think it's another sign where you look at that Oklahoma has at least put themselves in a position, getting guys like landing elite guys like Trey Young, making the Final Four last year, having Buddy Heald be a star. 
where guys will listen. Michael Porter will listen. You can get their ear. And as Josh always says in football stuff, that's half the battle, just getting them on campus, getting them listening. And you might not always get one, but the more seeds you plant, the more plants that are going to ultimately grow. You need to. If that's you're some great analysis. Uh, the whole time you were giving that, this dude won. I yeah, think he won both Price the showcase showdowns. He won it. Holy like, crap! We're all watching the same thing. Like, <laughs> okay, so you were watching that. I'm watching it. Yeah, he got within, I just rewound so if he got within four hundred thirty-nine dollars, right. does he win both showcases? I think, I think it's, so, if it's right? within yeah. a thousand, I think they get both. I think that's right. I was just waiting to see if he was going to kiss the other guy. It was a dude very effeminate. Oh really? It had to be his boyfriend, don't you think, Josh? I think there's a good chance that's a possibility. He, Not the there's whole anything time, wrong like, with I that. Just male cheerleaders at UCLA. He was wearing a UCLA sweater. I wonder if he uh, knows the ball. Are we typecasting because of the UCLA? I mean, <laughs> Lavar Ball's going to claim half way, of it. Is Lavar? <laughs> let me ask you, Josh. Is Lavar Ball the craziest father in the history of recruiting slash athletes? He's crazy like a fox. Like, I, it, it's – don't – I think for a while I was like, okay, he's just nuts. He's just absolutely nuts. But then when he started with the Charles Barkley stuff and I beat MJ one-on-one back in the day, you know, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. You're like, no, you're you're trolling it. Like, and, and he is. I, I saw they were talking about it this morning on uh, oh, one of the morning talk shows. He's going to get a – he he will get a TV show. They will get a reality show about the Ball family. Like I bet you money on it. They will and not get a, a billion dollar marketing deal though. What's oh no hell no that's not going to happen. But, but you know it it's one of those things where if they get even like it, it kind of puts it on everybody's mind and it's made that whole family, including Lonzo, who I think we all know is one of the truly great players in college basketball this year. It's made him even more famous. He's going to have more cachet. He's going to get more contra- He's going to get more money from Nike or Adidas or whoever it is he goes with. I mean, th- there is because this is the environment we live in now. When you can do this faux reality, like I mean, he's just saying things to stay in the headlines, and it's made him famous. I he's mean, a, you he's know, a male Kardashian, basically. Exactly. I mean, you know, that's that's exactly what it is. And his kids are going to get more recruited. You know, I was listening to Dan Dockett's talk this morning, and he was like, yeah, you know, the LaMelo kid, but, you know, he scored 92, and everybody's all excited about that. He goes, he's nowhere near the player Lonzo is. But I guarantee you he's going to get recruited at an extremely high level partially because he's a big name guy i mean coaches fall prey to that stuff too but i saw this morning the guy here's you're right i mean i didn't even think about it that way but he is getting a lot of uh attention i saw that you know the dude that does the uh the basketball impersonations like he did james harden he does russell oh, yeah. westbrook like he's doing lonzo ball now like he just released that one this morning God, I hope UCLA gets beat today. <laughs> was it just was it just him talking? No, I mean it was him. <laughs> it was him shooting. Like the way that he plays basketball. Yeah, like the way that he shoots, the way that he guards, the that way is that he a drives. Weird the release that he has. Like coming across his body. Yeah, that's how yeah, he was doing it. It so was hilarious. Weird. But see, this is the thing, guys. Like, name another dad whose release you know what it looks like. Of any player in college basketball. No, that's the son, Lonzo. Oh, okay. I'm talking, talking about the kid about, at sorry, UCLA. Okay. He was okay. he yeah, was yeah, imitating him. Yeah. Okay, I misheard. Was it Lavar? Is that his dad? Yeah, I get him confused. Lavar's the L's. dad. Lavar, Lonzo, Lamelo, and there's a third one, and I don't know what his name is. Lemon Jello. 
I think, and I think the the one that we forget is the the senior that's actually really good and committed to UCLA right now, because Lamelo is the the young is one, the youngest young one, one, isn't it? Yeah, that's funny. He's the cherry picker. Yeah. What would you do if you had kids that were that good? I mean, how do you handle something like that? Uh, I do. Do you go low key? Do you go kind of uh, Archie Manning and you just hang back, or do you go ahead and embrace the spotlight a little bit with your kids? You know what? I think Archie Manning might secretly be nuts. Because, I mean, like, yeah, he sat in the stands, you know, in Tennessee and Ole Miss or whatever and seemed like a normal – but he's at everything. Yeah. Like, do you think that, like, behind the scenes, he, like, pulls out a switch or something? I mean, he has nothing else to do, though. He's already – he played in the league. They have millions of dollars, I bet. Just all that attention's going through. I guess Eli now. It's like what Doug Collins is doing, right? Once you're done, we with- should we should get Josh like really in trouble and make him do a top five craziest parents that he's ever dealt with. Oh man, I'm trying because to- there's a few I would have to think about their names. Like I remember their acts more than I remember who you were, or whose parent you were. Because it's not, it's rarely ever like a notable person. Like I dealt with Gabe Eichert's dad all the time. He's a great guy. He was super easy but to he's deal crazy. with. Yeah, but like, <laughs> oh. wait, what did you say? I missed. I, I think I missed something. I said, but he's crazy, and you said, yeah. Oh no, God, I missed the crazy. But yeah, <laughs> I thought you were backing me up on something. Of course, you threw me under the bus. So sorry, Mister Eichert. But what what I was saying is, um, oh damn it, you've lost. My, I've lost my whole train of thought now. You were no, saying I mean, crazy just, parents. You remember like, the craziness remember more crazy- than the people. Yeah, I can remember a parent um, showing up, and, and Jeremy Crabtree can tell the story because he lived it, but I can remember a parent uh, found out what room Crabby was staying at in a hotel at one of the national all-star events and knocked on his door like, and had been emailing him like, we're going to fight, like I'm going to hit you. Oh, I, you. I thought maybe you meant like sexual favors or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Uh, now, those are some good stories. Like you could pick the um, – the trophy mom capitals of the world. There are some. Um, there's a lot of votes for Phoenix. There are a lot of the stay-at-home moms that really um, they take good care of themselves. That's that's the uh, that's the one that I want to do. I'll do those rankings. I'll take care yeah. of that. Yeah, yeah. Well, Eddie, you'll do the research, <laughs> is what you'll do. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and the sister research. I uh, yeah, we could do that too. We could do that too. That with that comment alone, I know one family that's going to be mentioned on the board right now. Like I, I, <laughs> Eddie knows who I'm talking about. And it's there's no question. Absolutely, it comes with territory, yeah. though. Yeah, yeah. I my problem is that the crazy parents that I've always dealt with, I'm still dealing with them. So I don't want to name names, <laughs> but you can probably Josh could probably guess who would be really high I, on my I list. I got a couple in there. Yeah, what's uh-huh. a, you got an anonymous story? Does, a story without a name. No, I mean, really, for the most part, all really nice people. But it's like, I'll just say this. It's like, Josh can back me up on this. There are some people that have, they played at OU. They were they, they had good careers. They're now out in the real world. They still complain about their rankings to this day. Like, dude, you got a scholarship. You played college football. You started why are you still worried about whether you were a three or a four star? I had a parent not long ago, and I think I told some of you guys about this, and I'll leave their name out to protect the uh, 
the innocent. Um, and I will say the kid was one of the most nonchalant recruits I ever covered. Super easy, very casual. Dad contacted me over the winter, like probably after the Sugar Bowl, probably somewhere in that ballpark, that a few of the offers on the kid's page were not correct. Like he didn't have all the offers listed on his page. That kid hasn't been recruited in three years. He's playing for a college football team. <laughs> like literally, and not like some scrub. Like he plays, and dad is worried about some offer that what, had nothing to, like the teams were not heavily involved in his recruitment, had nothing serious to do with anything. And he was concerned that they were not properly checked on his profile page. Three years who into his college cares? career. Yeah. yeah. Who would even care? I mean, I guess at the time, maybe you care a little bit just to make sure it's that. Of course, I, yeah, no, in, in real time, I get it, I do. But now, what? Like, and it's it's the same thing. Like, I can uh, there's one dad I can think of right now that was pretty crazy, and I I could drop the name, but it wouldn't matter because the kid I ended up going small school ball, which is what I told his dad from the start. I saw for him, and he's like, "Well, we're getting letters from Tennessee and Oklahoma and Ohio State." I'm like, "Man, that's great." I'm not going to rank you higher because of that. I that that that's just not where I see you. But if you are getting all that attention, who cares what I think? See, like, I don't have I, any ego about myself. And I I have to say say that uh, I did Josh wrong a lot over the years because when I knew a parent was super crazy like Brett Bauer's dad, <laughs> I just pretended like it was all Josh's doing. Like he was the one to talk to. He hands out the scholarships. I don't know. I don't, yeah, me. That's, uh, and like, I'm used to that stuff. I've had, God knows, I've had plenty of angry parents and stuff like that. But I, you guys know me. Like, there's not a lot that gets me riled up. And I think at some point, parents lose interest. Like, they can't get me all crazed and I'm going to scream at them back and that kind of stuff. I'm like, man, I'm just, this is how I see it. Like, I, I don't know how to tell you any other way. I'm telling you right now, nice. we could go break open the old Mitsubishi Eclipse that's sitting there in the driveway that has been for eight years, has been touched. And in the in the trunk is the Brett Bowers Hollywood produced high school highlight film that is like hand painted, like it has its own cover. You remember that, Josh? Like how elaborate his high school tape was. I do. One of the better ones, also. Do you remember Ben Haburn's? Yes. His dad had that file folder and like would give it to you and had like all the clippings of any stories he'd been in and where he was ranked on all the different sites, and, like, Richard Habern was, like, a, a marketing guy, though. So, I mean, like, it was just right in his home base for him to do it that way. But, like, Mr. Habern was never overly, like, he never, I don't remember him ever talking with me about rankings. Like, he just wanted to talk about Ben. Yeah, he so called, I mean, I remember he deal. called me upset, and he was right, right in the right to do so, but he called me, um, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to remember this correctly. Ben gave up football, I think, when he had this neck deal. I think he gave it up before his senior year and didn't play. Could have played another year, but didn't. But I think going into his junior year, he was considered, you know, one of the best centers in the Big 12, especially. And he wasn't on the preseason Remington watch list. And his dad called me all upset because he didn't know how somebody got on that list or whatever. So, I mean, like, you deal with stuff like that from time to time. And I just, you know, made a call to OU and I said, hey, uh, you know, I got a call from the Hayburn family and they're they're pretty upset that, you know, he's not on the Remington list. And eventually it got fixed and he got put on there. But, you know, there's – it's just kind of one of those deals. I think parents sometimes think that you can do more than you really do. And so they – 
they complain to you about things because you're the first person that they ran into, you know, when they were going through recruiting and you were the first person that ever ranked them or wrote about them. And so it's like, they just think, well, I'm going to go talk to this guy because he does everything. That's the best part is the people that think that, oh, because their son isn't ranked on rivals or doesn't have a rivals page or something that it's like rivals is out to get them and they're not going to get a scholarship now. It's like, Rivals has never offered a scholarship. No, if you if you are actually school. if you're actually getting letters from multiple schools, you're most likely going to have it's a chicken and the egg thing. It's like you're going to have a profile yeah. page if major colleges are interested in yeah. you. Not even if you have a scholarship offer. Like there are so many profiles where kids don't even have major offers from but they have profiles because they're legitimately they're legitimate prospects that are hearing from multiple schools. Like what's the nicest way you can Bible tell somebody college. their son? just sucks you never there's no there's no nice way to say that you just you just have to say hey you know what you really have to say is look if he starts getting some offers from big 12 schools or sec or let me know because then we can you know then we can start this process but until that happens you have to realize that he is, you know, he is not going to have a, a prospect page. Chase your dreams, kids, but maybe focus on another sport. And the other fact that he's a five foot eight nose guard is not helping him. <laughs> I've always said if, if I start, if I run a race, if I run a 40, everybody who finishes behind me, just, just leave. Go away. Get out of the camp. Don't want a page. Then that's like how we'll decide everything. Have like a rivals rider go do an event, and everybody who finishes behind them, all right, you're done. Go home. That's it. That's our drawing line. Have Josh go out there on the bench press. At 225, put up 20 reps and say, all right, see what you got, boys. By the way, uh, my favorite parent of all time has to be, what's his name from Selena? Oh, Jake Rollerson's dad? Jake Rollerson's dad. <laughs> who thought he could sabotage continues. me on the Orange Bloods message board <laughs> and just lie. <laughs> what did he say? Didn't he post something right after Jake? Oh no no he said he he sat there and told me that uh that basically he was at OU's camp and that people thought Texas was a done deal uh and it was far from that and that you know if he got an Oklahoma offer it would make it really tough on him. And so then shortly after that he committed to Texas and then he and then he started saying oh I never said that that guy's lying. Uh, and I was like, why would I lie? Like, there's no reason. And I, it's not like I made a story out of it. I just posted because he was so into message boards that he read every, he read what I said on a message board, kind of like in an open post, or it might've even been a scoop. I don't know. But it wasn't like we wrote some big story saying, Jake Rollerson, not a done deal to Texas. <laughs> I, I don't think, I mean, to tell you how seriously we took Jake Rollerson or how we're worried about him. I think I did a couple of stories about him, and not even about him. He was noted as a guy that was at a camp I was watching. It was like, oh, hey, he's a good-looking athlete, you know, yada, yada. I don't think I ever did a full interview with Jake Rollerson. I don't think once ever. It, if, if I'm not doing that, we weren't that serious about covering you. Josh, if you ever have, like, I don't know, somebody, a source, somebody on the coaching staff say, look, we're not getting this guy. He's not coming to us. He's, coming, he's going to Texas. He's going to LSU or whatever. And then the kid tells you, no, 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 I, I really like OU. Are you more inclined to trust the coaches when that happens? 
Oh, 100%. I, guys, I'll give you a great one last year. Um, uh, the kid that – oh, God, I'm going to blank out on his name. That went, uh, Hunter Eccles came, came to OU for an official, really liked it, gave OU all these signals that, man, he was really in. I can even tell you someone that was around him uh, on Sunday of his official visit – he was talking about flipping. I mean, openly talking about it with other recruits, talking about it with coaches. Like it sounded like he was really serious about changing his commitment commitment from USC. And normally you wouldn't think that of a Los Angeles guy, but his mother was from Oklahoma. There was some reason to think maybe that's possible. Well, I go and see him uh, like a month later at the Army game, and I'm doing an interview, and I start asking him some basics, and he's talking, and then all of a sudden I kind of ask him about where things are with OU, and he's like, oh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm set on USC. That's where I want to be. You know, he goes, I loved OU. I really did, but, you know, that's what I want to do. Okay, cool, man. I appreciate the honesty. You know, we went our separate ways, whatever. Well, like two weeks later, I start hearing that he's back in touch with OU, and he's like, oh, you know, you guys got to come out here and visit. Come see me. You know, my mom wants you to come out here. I'm really serious about OU. I just need some more information. Like, it was just one of those things where, you know, uh, I guess I'll get my cut. He, he was ne- he, he had to shit or get off the pot, and he was never going to do it. So, like, I, OU just kind of walked on him. Like, he was still trying to get OU to come recruit him more, but it was never going to happen, and OU needed to focus on guys they actually were going to get. Well, yeah, and you know, you mentioned that, and that's something I think this staff, we always talk about how this staff is kind of um, – you know, evolved and how they do things. I think that was kind of one of the things that that's been a, a long time in the making that they learned a long time ago. Once they started going national more, they got a pretty good you know bullshit sense meter. I mean, like they they kind of were able to figure out if a guy was just trying to be nice or wasting their time, but really wasn't going to end up signing with them, and. I think they have. They've always had a pretty good grasp on whether or not a kid's wasting their time, especially when it comes to national kids. Who's got the biggest? I think. Okay, it's okay. Go oh, ahead, go Josh. Ahead. Go ahead, Joe. I was just gonna no, no. Go ahead, man. Go ahead. I was just gonna ask who is there a part of the country that has more of a reputation for doing those kinds of things? Is that like a? Is that something you see more in SEC countries? Is that something LA kids do? Is guys that kind of I I kind of want to build up their offer list and maybe mislead you a little bit. I think you get that in Florida a lot. I think there's a lot of stuff in Florida that just, you know, almost to where the kids at this point in the game know what they're going to do next February. But between now and then, they're going to tell six different schools, hey, man, I love you and I'm super serious about you. And at some point, you know, it just it is what it is. And I kind of take what Kerry's saying, but at the same time, I think it took OU a long time to get here. Um, no, no, no. I'm not saying. I'm years, not saying. Yeah, I'm not saying that they've food. always been that way. I'm just saying. Yeah. I I remember kind of having discussions back with you know Kevin Wilson about this kind of thing, and that was kind of when it started. I'd say late 2000s is when they started kind of getting a grasp on it. I I, I do too. I because there were so. I mean, and even I would say in certain cases, even more recently, like you'll. I, the kid, I'm going to blank on his name, although he comes up all the time because he's the one I always ran about. The five-star linebacker from Sarah a couple years John ago. John Houston? Who's that? John Houston? Yes, John Houston. That was never, ever, ever coming to OU. And OU was like passing up on good linebackers they had a chance with to recruit John Houston. And you're like, what do you do? That, that, was, that was never going to happen. Okay, he took an official visit. Great. 
it would, if you're a five star at Sarah, with almost no exception, you're going to USC. So I, I just I, I don't know like stuff like that. But those things to me, kind of along the lines of what you're saying, Carrie, those have become outliers rather yeah. than every year there's some story where you're like, what were you doing? Well, there? and you know what that, helped I mean, them. That, you know what helped them that, figure that, that, that out three years ago. You know what helped them figure that out, and it it wasn't. It I think it really was kind of the uh, the Bruce Kittle era, like when you keep oh well we're doing really well with this Zach Banner guy Zach we Banner. might get him away from USC and all of a sudden you you're chasing all these kids that are long shots and then you don't have anybody and I think that woke him up to realize you know we've like you said you you've got to shit or get off the pot nice guys finish last well finishing second it's it, it's impressive. But it doesn't get you anything. Yeah. Get you fired. If you ain't first, you're last. And it, I think they also, it's the bird in the hands worth two in the bush. I think they realized if you can work on a guy like, you know, Kenyon Friesen and lock down like a Rivals 250 kind of kid and not have to put all your eggs in, you know, a five star basket, that might be a, a better way to go. Josh, where, does, where would Julio Jones kind of fall in that spectrum? Is he someone that, you know, some, that OU, that was worth the effort, even though he was probably always going to Alabama? Or was that something where they wasted some time and resources? Joshua. Did our internet- Damn it with this mute button. I just keep hitting the mute button. I, I got halfway through an answer. Um, no, I, I think Julio was worth the time because I, and really, I think people underrate that a little bit. Oh, you, the night before signing day, they still thought they were there with Julio. I mean, they, they still thought there was a chance. Now, I think they were always pretty realistic that the odds were against them, but probably with the exception of Reuben Randall of, a, of an out-of-state out major receiver, I think that was the guy they really thought they had the best chance with. And he liked his official. Uh, you know, that's one of those fun stories I always love to tell about me interviewing him at Will Rogers, uh, you know, booking a, a flight it. that I didn't even want to take so that I could go in to check it or go into the, um, uh, the, the gates, the gate area. Yeah. And go wait for him because I knew what time his flight was and interview him and um, his teammate who ended up who is a yeah. also a longtime NFL guy. So that that's kind of a crazy story. But I mean, the, there are I, I think Julio was a good example. But to me, Kerry, I was sitting here looking. I was like, when what time frame are we talking about? Look at 2012. That coaching staff. You had Josh Heupel, Jay Norvell, Bobby Jack Wright, Tim Kish. Jackie Ship, James Patton, and Bruce Kittle. How the hell were you landing any elite guys? <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean to bag on I like a lot yeah. of those guys I really like. But it's kinda like I've made this analogy before. Those are not elite recruiters. It's like when you look at like Eddie, when you go back and you look at like a Cubs roster from mm-hmm. like eight years ago, and you it, it's almost like it's in that that it's like that moment in the movie Major League with the the uh, Asian groundskeeper guys. Like, who are these bleeping guys? Yeah, like I love Brant Brown, <laughs> but I like Chris Bryant a lot too. There's like, there's this this you. It takes you years later to realize because at the time you're convincing yourself, oh, these guys are good. Like we can win with these guys. Yeah, and then you look at it ten years later. It's like I look at some of those Royals lineups. Oh my God! It's like Kosuke Fukudomi was really good, <laughs> but I love Kyle Schwarber. <laughs> but so, but yeah, I mean that's that's when you look at that OU staff. 
you you're like, what the hell were they thinking? But it's what point, were we thinking? You didn't realize it at the time. It's one of those things you only realize in retrospect. People thought Jay Norvell was a great recruiter for a period of time. People thought Jack, he was. He, Jackie Ship was a great recruiter look, for a period of time. But, Jay but Norvell they, could go out and identify a kid that was highly rated and bring. I think it would have been the same problem that you would have had with Jerry Montgomery. Eventually, is that he would have gone out and said, "These are the guys that everyone says are the best players," and he would have gone out and gotten a a, a good amount of them. But Jay Norvell never said no to a highly ranked kid. Yeah, and that was part of his problem. He never. He never made and look, we were the ones ranking him high, but there's got to be an evaluation process that says, okay, maybe Duran Neal is not a difference maker, no matter what people say about him or how he's ranked. You know the uh, you know what? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to add on uh, Julio Jones. I've always uh, I've always heard that Julio Jones got a car and never uh, and kept driving and then it. Kept driving it to Tuscaloosa. But that was a that's an urban legend that has been around for a while. A yeah. failed bagman moment in Oklahoma history is brought to you by. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great to show like during timeouts during games. This failed bagman moment. We gave him five hundred thousand dollars. We could do the uh, like Chappelle show version when he did the hookup great moments in hookup history. Yeah. Yeah. Bagman. That would be great. No, but you were. I mean, Josh, you were. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Josh. Oh, no, you know, kind of just what you were saying about Norvell, Kerry. To me, the issue, and, and, and you're right in that, but I think it was also, well, oh, we're going to get five, six, five guys in this class and zero yeah. slot receivers? Cool, yeah. no problem. Like That doesn't work. You, you've got to have some balance because that class where, you know, and people can go on and on about it, they were really close to getting Doriel Green Beckham. It just didn't happen. Yeah. But they were going to get him. They were going to get Court, Courtney Gardner. And there was somebody else Derek, Derek that was, uh, was was another big outside guy. And you're like, you run a spread. Where are you going to put all this size? Like, it doesn't make any sense. And, it, you know, to be fair, it's kind of the same conversation I'm having right now. Like, Oklahoma's got a whole bunch of big bodies, and they look good for a couple more in this upcoming class. But where are the slot guys? I, the, and, you know, you can love those big outside guys, but that's not really the offense you run. No, you're right. The Duran Neal stuff to me is always interesting because I don't, his highlight tape, his, his film was explosive. I mean, he looked like a, a game changer in every facet of the game. Return game, he, he took handoffs, he was a receiver, and then he came to Oklahoma and he, he, he carved out a role for himself eventually, but it was it never saw the same explosion uh, you saw of him in high school. And you know, that's I guess that's like a wake-up call for what you're seeing in high school does not always – uh, translate to college level. You have to consider competition, all that stuff. But I remember him. But at man, the, he I, looked good in high school. I remember him at the U.S. Army games, and him. You know, everybody feeling like he was a little disappointing out of practices there. You know, and people always say, "Oh, you guys put too much stuff on that." A guy like Deron Neal, that's the first time he really went up against elite guys. Yeah, and you you can't overscore that. Now, sometimes the guys, you know, like okay, I got used to it. Now I'm back on my game. But you can't ignore when a guy, okay, that's the first time he's faced an elite cornerback in his whole life, and he looks like he's overwhelmed. Like that's, I mean, it happens all the time, and we see these elite guys, and then they go out and don't do much in college, and you're like, well, we, we kind of saw that coming, but we didn't, 
we didn't react to it, but at the same time, there'll be a guy and we do react, and then he comes back and he's fine. So it, it's so hard to know what to take seriously about that. But yeah, with Duran, I wasn't sold on him until his senior film. Like I liked his junior stuff and thought he was pretty good. But I'm with what you're talking about, Kerry. Like he wasn't. I wasn't like, oh, he's amazing. He's so much better than Sterling Shepard. I didn't see that. He and was then as a also senior, you're like, damn, he's really good. He was also maybe the greatest example of a guy that was just obscenely profane on Twitter. Like his Twitter account was insane. <laughs> like horrible, horrible things. And I just I just remember like I by the time he left OU, like he had grown up so much as a person yeah. because when he was in high school, every other word was a cuss word on his Twitter account. And I just thought to myself, this guy is never going to make it at OU. He came from a rough area of St. Louis too, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the perfect example of somebody that went into college, probably a boy and turned into a man. Yeah. And you know what? You know who was responsible for that? Probably more than anybody was Sterling Shepard. Yeah. And they still, to this day, uh, they came to the, I forgot what game it was this year. Um, might have been the Ohio State game, but they were together. They came and they it's still hang like out. The perfect marriage because Sterling wanted to be hard, yeah, and and Duran really was hard, and they kind of met in the middle. Yeah, that's they, a good point. Yeah. Went together, Eddie. That's uh, that's one of those areas you always talk about. Like, oh, let's take these dudes from Waco to South Dallas. Yeah, take them to East St. Louis. Oh boy, that ain't that's no place to play, man. That's a serious joint. I have played in East St. Louis, and it's everything that you're describing. Uh, all right, uh, spring practice is starting. It's, it's spring break. Bob Stoops is going to have his press conference on Monday. Uh, should get a lot of good stuff out of that. Like you said, Josh, it, it has really been locked down. Everybody's kind of been taking their time. Uh, they're getting their final breaths before they really get going. It's going to be really interesting because we have so much. I, I pulled it up earlier, Eddie. We have so much media availability yeah, it's crazy. Uh, over the next two weeks, almost every day. Which I love. I mean, that's going to be awesome. It's it's going to be totally awesome. But we'll start with Bob Stoops on Monday. Uh, so there's going to be a lot to talk about in the next podcast in terms of team news. Uh, but obviously, you know, we've been out to pro day. We talked about that, seeing some of the guys. Uh, but I think Rodney Anderson is probably the guy that you you want to know how much contact is he going to do, uh, how much are you going to let him do, and he's a guy that's been out for so long. I think Bob should maybe suspend that rule about, you know, not your your starters don't get much contact at, at running back. There's just so many question marks going into this spring. It's like it's like I don't want to say it's the biggest spring of Bob Stoops era of the Bob Stoops no. era, but it's There's a it, lot there's a lot of knowns, but it has the biggest question marks at probably a season in which if those question marks are filled, you can compete for a national title. Does that make sense? Yeah, exactly. They have a foundation with you know Baker Mayfield and that offensive line and what they have returning on defense. That you think, okay, this could be a, a playoff type of team. But then you look at skill position. I mean, running back and wide receiver, you have really no clue who those guys are going to be uh, when you know they they run out on the field uh, against UTEP. So. I, that's and that's kind of one of the more that's one of those those are the positions where I think people can see talent a little more easily. So that's going to be really interesting to see who kind of jumps out at running back and jumps out at receiver and who are going to be the playmakers that take over for Joe Mixon and Samaj Piran and Didi Westbrook. And I think guys, which, go ahead, Josh. Hang on, which, which one do you think's a bigger concern, running back or receiver? Like, which one do you feel like that'll probably work itself out, and which one are you really unsure about? I'd say receiver. 
that, I'm going to say running back because Baker Mayfield yep. is good enough where he can he can kind of work around some of the deficiencies. But they have does receiver. as good of OU's offensive line is can that over can that I guess not take care of everything for a running back? But I mean. Dude, OU, OU's offensive line was great in 2004, but they didn't have Adrian Peterson that had on yeah. Jones, and it was not pretty at times. Yeah. Uh, there's been years also where they've had nobody at receiver, and it's been they've they've struggled those years. I remember the in 2009, that receiving core was just dreadful outside of Ryan Broyles, and they had trouble. No, it was terrible. They had trouble just completing passes and uh, not completing. They couldn't. They had receivers that couldn't catch the damn ball. Right, and so I, I remember. I think it was Dewan Miller being at the top of that a, list. It was a Jay Norvell point, I think. But he 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 had a statistic that said a drop is going is more likely going to result in a punt for your offense than a holding penalty. So, uh, I, I my first instinct was kind of to go with Eddie there. Like if those receivers don't come through, then that's a problem. But I I happen to have more confidence in the. They're way guys, better though. than they were in two thousand and nine at receiver. Yeah, I, I mean Marquise Brown. I, Marquise Brown and Sedarian Lamb are 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 so talented. Uh, I mean, you don't know exactly what they're going to be at OU, but I I have faith in those guys' talent to Mark to Andrews. On. I mean, look, I'm not sold on Dahu Green, uh, but Michael Jones. I mean, I think he could be a guy that makes a huge Nick leap. Basquin. Sure. Um, oh, he had to get his North plug <laughs> in there. He didn't even make. He didn't even make my two deep. I think he was on Eddie's two deep. Yeah, I had him in there. I look, look. I'm not. I'm not buying on Jordan Smallwood either. Or yeah, and we'll see what happens if A.D. Miller is still around. Uh, but look, Jeffrey Meade has made a lot of progress. And I mean, I know we all get sick of him saying, you know, oh, Jeffrey Meade is about ready to explode because they've been saying that for two years. But he he had actual progress on the field last year. Made actual. He made actual improvement. How. Uh- how important is this spring for the guys that are returning as opposed to a guy like Sedarian Lamb, Charleston Rambo? Can those guys, I, I know that Josh, I, I think Josh and Joe both had them in there too deep, but can Lamb be a guy that really, I mean, if somebody doesn't step up this spring, if somebody doesn't have a good camp, is he a guy that will take a job? I think so. I mean, I, he's that good, I think. Josh, you, you, yeah. you've seen him more than I have, I, but from tape, he. The first tape I saw him, I think I had him as my my top ranked recruit. Oh, you had I I really am a buyer in his talent. There's there's no reason he can't be a 600 700 yard receiver this year. Like I, I he there is every availability to him, and I Jeff Meade is Quentin Chaney to me. Like he's gonna have moments where you're like, oh man, look at all that talent, and then he, for a month you forget he's even on the roster. So I, I I'm just I'm done buying on that. Um, same with Dahu Green and A.D. Miller. I, I, if I had to pick one of those three, I think Dahu would probably be the way I lean just a little yeah, bit based do. on You're a fool. just what, what I believe is their talent. <laughs> but uh, Jeff is just – Jeff's soft. He's always going to have trouble if anybody's physical with him. Like, it just I, – I, I, I'm not a buyer. He, he's, um, he's surprisingly I'm trying to pull up too. stats right now. J- Jeff will tell you that he struggles to make the easy catches. He uh, The yep. routine catches I, I struggle with. But I'll make the crazy acrobatic ones. And yep. I appreciate the honesty, but that's a that's a telling admission that you struggle to make the routine catches, and your job is to make catches. Yeah, not exactly. So Eddie they, can back me up on this. There, there kinda, are a few people I like talking to more than Jeff Mead. Jeff Mead's a super sharp kid to yeah, talk to. It is bizarre that Michael Jones had more catches than Jeff Mead last year, because Michael Jones disappeared about halfway through the season. Didn't he have a yeah. seven catch game somewhere in there? That uh, well, the Iowa State game was his best game. 
Uh, but then he had that really big catch. Was that in Bedlam where he's going across the middle? Mm-hmm. I'm um, pretty sure. And then he had, I mean, but Jeff Mead did have three touchdowns last year. Michael Jones didn't have any. Nick Baskin had two. I mean, actually, his three touchdowns for receivers was third best on the team. And they were impressive Or touchdowns. second best for receiver. I mean, those Iowa State touchdowns were are impressive. And, or I mean, third best. The, the catch he had against Baylor where he, he made a one-handed grab, plucked it away from two defenders, was impressive. I, I think he had three of our top ten plays mm-hmm. of the year from Scoop yeah, HD. I couldn't disagree with Josh more, and I, I, I was half-joking there. Uh, <laughs> but... Only half. Uh, I I I I'm. I don't think Dahu Green's ever going to do anything. See, I like that. I like Dahu. I think he's going to at some point get it together. But if I had to, t- if I had to pick between him, Ad Miller, and even Mead, I might take Dahu. See, I think Ad Miller has the best talent out of those guys. But last year, I, I just I've lost all confidence in what he can do on the field because it just didn't happen, and I don't know why. Because I think he has all the tools. Well, you and it was so weird with him last year. I don't know what was going on, but. There's something on the mental side of it for Dahu that's just not there. I mean, how many games, Eddie, did he dress but didn't, you know, or he didn't dress but he was, he seemed to be fine. Well, he had those, I mean, was it concussion? Because he didn't suit up for the first. But he would Gosh. He would even come on the road wearing his jersey and stuff. Yeah. It was weird. He had a weird year. There's no doubt about that. I guess I'm just, well, I guess I'm, I'm as down on Dahu as Josh is on Jeff Mead. Well, I mean, but this is what we're talking about, guys. Like when we say, yeah, there's no reason Lamb can't have a huge year. Because yep. who are you buying in front of him? That's a great I point. mean, like you can say like, oh, yeah, he's got some things he's got to work on. He on the outside, does. definitely. They, they, they need help on the outside. And if yep. you're a difference maker, you can come in and play right away. And the thing about it is you're competing against Jeff Mead if you're Sedarian Lamb and you're going to say, oh, he's a freshman. He needs to get bigger, stronger. Jeff Mead's not bigger or stronger. So it's not going to be a case where you can't come in and beat a guy out because he's more physically developed than you are. Josh, have you given a comparison for Sedarian Lamb? What his game reminds you of? What that frame is like? What, what, what kind of player does he remind you of? I've worked at it, Joe, and I've never found one that just screams at me. Like, I, I think, you know, and it's he's a totally different body type because that, the guy I'm going to compare him to in this, he was so much broader and wider and more physical but his game reminds me of des bryant that's the way he plays like he uses his length he's great in the air he's just really natural chasing the ball is not a 4-4 guy but has plenty of speed has great feet but at the same time just like i'm saying he has more length he's probably like des was probably 6-1 ish and Sedarian's a pretty legit 6'2 and a half, 6'3, and is a longer guy, but he's not going to body a guy up like Des Bryant or run over a smaller corner like Des Bryant might. So, I mean, like, and I'm not, I, I always hate using a big name like that because everybody's like, oh, he's saying, there's a long way to go before I'm ready to say he's that kind of player, but just his skill set and the way he plays, that's the kind of guy he reminds me of. And like I said, I, I don't know how you keep Lamb off the field and probably the guy that goes forgotten in all of this is probably Charleston Rambo. Charleston Rambo is a really good player yeah. and is high, far more highly thought of in my eyes coming in than anybody in front of him and he's going to be he's an accomplished route runner. He, he's much more mentally ready than Sedarian Lamb is. I just don't know that he has those scary skills that Lamb has and I think that's where Lamb is just so good it's going to be hard to keep him off the field. 
Well, we'll see. Uh, you know, with the transfers and everything, I mean, that's going to play into it as well. Yeah. Um, yep. But, yeah, I just think offensively, Baker is going to help you overcome some of those shortcomings. I mean, uh, they'll find a running back, and hopefully it's Rodney Anderson because, I, I mean, that kid deserves some some stardom after all the injuries he's been through since he's been at Oklahoma. And then defensively for me, I mean, obviously the, the defensive line – uh, seeing if guys can really make that next leap. Guys like, and not so much like Gallimore for me, but guys like Devontae Lampkin, uh, you know, can Q Overton kind of make that jump a little bit. They've got four guys there that they can play, and I think they can trust in, and then you got Romar coming back. Um, but, you know, can they hold up against the run? And, and everybody keeps asking. I, I saw some thread on the board. Everybody was complaining about, you know, being confused about the defensive scheme that they're running. I still really think with Caleb Kelly out there that they're going to run some version of a a 3-4. But I just think in this day and age, it's probably hurting. And Josh, you could speak to this better than anybody. I think it probably hurts them a little bit finding defensive tackles when it's thought that they run a base 3-4. It's really tough because, I mean, people don't understand, like, that knows all you're doing is eating blocks. You're never going to get stats. You're never going to be the guy that most people notice. You know, guys that sit around and watch film all day, they'll know who you are, but nobody else is going to know anything about you. And that's that's tough for kids, especially, you know, we talked about it in the in the Lonzo Ball world that we live in. That's, that's what this is. I mean, these kids want to be no, known and have hype. And people will say, well, look at Alabama. Alabama lives in a world-class recruiting base. And they've had all this success. They can tell these kids, you can be the next Jonathan Allen. You can be this next guy. Well, they can come and, and get Sean Robinson in Texas. Exactly. They, they can make that happen because also there's a pretty good likely, uh, likelihood you're going to win a national championship while you're at Alabama. So, I mean, that's, that's a lot to sell a kid, and it can kind of overcome some of the stuff we you're talking about. But you're right. I mean, it's a tougher sell. But I, I mean, like, I think when you start looking at the defense, who are the guys that you can't take off the field? Like that you want, if you're in your best defensive grouping, who's going to be out there? Caleb Kelly? Yeah. Oboe. Neville Gallimore? Steven I mean, Parker. Who's that? Steven Parker on defense. I mean, yeah, in, in I mean, back you're, end. you're talking about guy, and, you know, with like what you just said, Kerry, it's pretty hard to get Caleb Kelly on the field in a 4 3 alignment if you're not doing something kind of funky. Or you're 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 putting him in a strong side backer position, which is not featuring him at all. Exactly, exactly. Like you, you. I mean, the only way you can do it aside from that is if you're kind of doing like an eagle look, and you've got somebody right there lined up over a tight end. I mean, like you're gonna have to do something a little unique with Caleb Kelly to best use him in a four three scheme. And maybe it's even just going back to Dan Cody, Larry Birdine kind of spinner stuff. I mean, that was technically a 4-3 yep. defense that they had a, a defensive end stand up that basically made him a 3-4. I mean, it's really everybody gets so hung up on putting a, a number on a scheme on this defense. They're going to be multiple up front. They're going to at times look like a 5-2. They're at times going to look like a 3-4. They're going to have defensive tackles on the field. They're going to have stand-up linebackers. They're going to have defensive ends. I mean, DJ Ward's not going anywhere either. I mean, he's he is a guy that fits multiple systems. So, I mean, and he's been asked to do a lot of stuff since he's been here. Now, is he 
a superstar? No, but he's a, a good college football player. And I would just tell people to stop worrying about... That's why I haven't really addressed it. So it's very complicated to talk about this, but don't worry about if it's a 4-3 or a 3-4 or a 5-2 or 4-2-5, whatever. You're going to have Stephen Parker up on the line of scrimmage some, even though I think he's a great, he could be a great free safety. They just like his versatility there. So everybody's going to be all over the place. But at the end of the day, like you say, Josh, they're going to put guys in the best position to make plays. They're going to put Caleb Kelly in better positions to make plays than if he was a strong side linebacker. And that, that amoeba front is kind of where the evolution of defense is going. If you watch things like the Falcons defense last few years, that, that where you where you're, the offense can't be quite sure of what your alignment is uh, on a play-to-play basis. That's kind of where the evolution of defense is going. Um, and the defense played better uh, with Caleb Kelly in the lineup last year in a in a you know a multiple front, but a basic three man. Just like front. they played better with Devonte Bond, you know, last year. Right. I think they allowed thirty plus points per game without Caleb Kelly starting, and with Caleb Kelly starting, they allowed fewer than twenty points per game. I mean, that that defense was working at least working much better with Caleb Kelly in the lineup. I'm not sure if you have to change too much. I mean, I guess it makes sense if if you're trying to help your recruiting pitch because you know someone like Jordan Phillips who played nose tackle in this system ended up being a second round pick. But at OU, he only had three and a half career sacks. So I get what you're saying about that position. It's just not going to be a, a a stat builder. But you can still make it to the NFL being a nose tackle uh, at OU. Like I said, he was a second round pick. It's just about you know what kind of style you want to be playing. Yeah, I don't. As as a fan, you shouldn't care what they run as long as they don't give up ten yards on three plays. Is that kind of like the? I, I mean, this whole thing it's become like. And it's, it's almost like rotisserie baseball or something. It's like the nerds have to be able to say, oh, they're running a 3-4, but they extend out on the edge. And, uh, it's just like... <laughs> just just like, being dude, a true loser about it. Oh, that's not a little harsh, but I just mean it's nerdy. It's very you're being nerdy. You realize I'm a football nerd. You guys are kind of crushing me right now. Josh, that's you're fine. a nerd. I love talking that crap. But you know what? You don't go on the board griping about... Why can't we nail down what de- what alignment this defense is running? Those are the well, same people that are going to call in and ask, Al, what times OU play on Saturday? <laughs> oh, God. It's the same person. That's the same That's mold. not the same person. Same mold. Um, I give the I give the alignment people more credit than that guy a lot. More. Yeah, for sure. If you can if you can immediately find an answer from Google, then you you know don't that's that's bad. But you know, Kerry, I, I think, and it's kind of what Joe was talking about. There is something to be said for some mystery in what you're doing. You know, like yeah. and especially. I agree. I, I think it's very interesting that OU has been so upfront with, "Hey, we're going to do this," and I understand it from a recruiting perspective. But I also think there's some gamesmanship with other teams in the league who who think they know what OU is going to th- throw at them, and then they're going to do some different things that maybe they're not prepared for. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like, you know, you look at like Oklahoma State, the way they attack their defense. Nobody else had really done that with their, what do they call it, their pony backs or whatever, uh, with mm-hmm. Jarwin and, and uh, Veach. You know, the, it's just running a diamond with two tight ends uh, as the fullbacks. But, uh, I mean, that when people have enough time to look at your defense over a few-year period, it hasn't changed they're going to be able to have some success from time. And I think they're probably worried a little bit about Baylor coming in here with a, a system that's going to be designed to attack fronts and things like that with their run game. Um, it, it's just coaches are never comfortable having all their cards out on the table. 
I'd say also probably the and they shouldn't be the the fan base worry about the formations and what OU's running to. I think probably goes back to a lot of those same people don't have any faith in Mike Stoops and what in no, his that's true. To call that's defense. true. But I'd say this: tell me one great player since Mike Stoops has been here that that he has failed to put in a position to make plays. Eric Stryker is not an NFL football player. And they found a way to put Eric Stryker in a position to where he was considered one of the best defensive players in the country. Yeah. And he was so out of his, you know, out of his league trying to make it in the NFL because we all knew he he was a guy that played if he had been 265 and 6 foot 5 he would have been all pro in the NFL with his motor. Devontae Bond put Devontae put Stryker's motor in Devontae Bond's body. But Eric Stryker was 6'1, 215. Yeah. Or 6'2, 215. I've said the difference between Eric Stryker and Vic Beasley is why Oklahoma's winning Sugar Bowls and Clemson's winning national titles. You it's bastard. The, it's, that's the difference. You, you, you're having a guy who's an elite college pass rusher, but he's you know not going to be an NFL guy, while Clemson's got Vic Beasley, who's you know going to go lead the NFL in sacks yeah. one day. And so it's just about getting those guys. Uh, in your system, when you are when you run a defense, I, I mean, Mike Stoops has had his problems, but he's also had some good days since he's returned. Uh, last, I mean, two years ago, that defense was pretty good, and at the end of last year, it was pretty good. It's just about, I, I don't think they've had the horses on defense to be a national title kind of team. And No, they haven't. They've been moving more in that direction, though. So that's, that, that is the, the positive sign. You have guys like uh, Neville Gallimore and Devontae Lampkin up front now that, that do give you at least a, an elite-level type Front, uh, but they're still not there. I, I still don't. I still think they're not quite there yet. Caleb Kelly's good. Who is class of twenty seventeen potential instant impact guy in your minds? Anybody go on defense? Yeah, I think Justin Broyles can. Troy James. I think Troy James is a bull. I think they're. Gonna I think play. Troy James would probably be my pick. I I, I would lean. Toward Addison Gums, but if they're legitimately going to this four-man front, you know, and again, we could get into that whole thing of what that means and how they're going to use people. Gums makes a ton of sense, but with the way they want to do that, I think Troy James is a potential three technique. Because I mean, you could talk about Neville, and Neville makes sense as a three tech, but who else? Lampkin's too big. Lampkin's a one. I mean, yeah. he just is. And so, so you go. I mean, Overton, he's a one. Yep. Uh, Romar, he's a one. Yeah. So who, who's that next guy? You'd have three. to spin I mean, down DJ Moore probably, yeah. and he's not. I would say he's slimmed down a little bit, but maybe that's just because he's in better shape because he's lost a spleen and all that stuff since he's been here. What's interesting to me, guys? Do you think? Oh, okay, say Lampkin comes in this spring and they feel good about him. They they feel like okay, he's made that step. He's ready to be a true contributor. We've got Overton. We know we trust him. He's healthy. Do, do you think there's any thought of letting Romar trim down a little bit and move over to that three? Because to me, that's where he's better. Because he's so uh, people people don't understand what a good athlete Matt Romar is, but he's having to play huge for his body type. He's so big, though. I don't know how much. No, he can I, I trim know down. he is, but I mean, he's like Carrie. Well, I mean, you've stood next to him. I have not. He's probably what six one, maybe. Yeah, I don't. I don't think he's quite as tall as I am. I think I've stood next to him. He's just like a hair under me. Yeah, so I mean, like he could be. It's it's just he's carrying a lot of weight for that frame. Now he's a big guy naturally. You're you're absolutely right, but he's a guy that played running back in high school, <laughs> like at, at a good. I mean, and and had some success doing it. So he's a good athlete. 
And I, I just wonder, like, could you slide him over there? And all of a sudden, you get a pretty athletic. And talk about a rotation. If you're if you get a Romar that's moving well and Neville Gallimore, those are your two three techniques. That's pretty serious. Yeah, I think. I, I don't think he can though. I just don't. I don't. Think, no, I don't. I, it probably won't happen. I just think it's interesting. Yeah, because you're a nerd. Well, and that's this what, is the crap I think about. Well, that's, that's where I spend my time. That's where all their talent about. is: is defensive tackle. All right, so you have Romar and Overton and Lampkin I mean, the bigger and those question, guys. Gallimore look, and one bigger, room. How do you we get can them on just stop talking about defensive tackle. That's not their their worry. The worry is: can John Michael Terry come in and be a middle linebacker? I mean, that's or can Ricky Barry make the move to middle linebacker? Right. Yeah, I'm after seeing take your him, bets, guys. Who who you got? Give me John Michael Terry, man. I'll take I'm DeBerry. Terry. I think he's DeBerry. A I think he's going to be really good. Really? I do. I think he's going to be really, because really good. Because right now, and until I hear or see some more, mm-hmm. I'm going with Emmanuel Beal again. I know people don't want to hear that. That's the boring one. That's the one where nothing changes. You know, the one thing you can say for Beal, he is the one guy that in that shift in the front, it's better for him. He makes right. a lot more sense in a 4-3 than he does in a 3-4. Yeah, because he's small. It's it's yep. funny how much shit the Lackawanna guys took last year coming in, and all of a sudden, I mean... Well, Ashton I, Julius gonna... was the highest-rated recruit. He hadn't done jack squat. Yeah, he didn't do anything. And uh, the, But the but two the Looney, linebackers, the Looney, the Looney Tunes, I mean, all they did was play well. They didn't re- they didn't do anything great, but well, they didn't do anything I mean, terrible. We got we to throw Capri said in the mix there, yeah. too. And I don't know. I mean, they're going to try him in, inside some. Yeah. So. And like like Eddie said, you know, they didn't set the world on fire, but when Oklahoma needed linebackers, they came in and played and played capable. I'm Capri said had a big sack against TCU. I hey, mean, one of the best plays of the year was the, was it Beal that had the, that shot the gap in the red zone? I forgot who, what game that was. Yeah, was that well, TCU? Uh, Bill makes play. I mean, he's yeah, a playmaker. He's just not. He's not big enough to do yeah. it on a consistent basis. Bill's feast or famine. Yeah. You're going to get a great thing, and then you're going to see something that hurts you. It's just it's just the way that is. And then, really, the only other question is, you know, Sunderland or or uh, Houghton. 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 Yeah. I ran into Will. Uh, did you see Will at Pro Day, Carrie or Joe? Either I don't of you? I think I ran I into him. him. That guy. I mean, all it seems like all he does is work out, but he is humongous right now. Atari Bird level of jackness. He, no, he he makes Atari Bird look very small. Wow. Like I, I think Will, I don't think there's probably a bigger fan than anybody, uh, of anybody than uh, Josh. I mean, Josh, this is kind of Will's time to shine, isn't it? It is. I mean, Will's one of those guys that. You know, when OU signed him, I, I I thought he would take time for the mental side to catch up. Will Will was coming. He knew what he knew, but he, he there was a lot he was going to have to process at OU. So you knew that was going to take him a little time. And he's such a – I mean, Eddie, you talk about biggest, but he's so long in his yeah. frame. He's kind of – you know, and so it was going to take a little while for him to physically get there. And now, I mean, to me uh, – he has to go in with the edge, right? I mean, every time Will was on the field last year, good things happened. No, just turn on the Texas tape and see what he yeah, did when he came I mean, in. I, I think that that's again, why that's everybody really, was hung up on him. Yeah, that's really what you were basing it on. I mean, I realize there's not a lot more to go on than that. But with Houghton, when I, and I was a huge Houghton fan out of high school. Me too. I haven't seen him make a play yet. He reacts slowly on no. the field, it looks like to me. In high school, he flew around. But at OU, he mm-hmm. just looks tentative out there. He looks slow in his breaks. He just doesn't look like he's sure what he's doing. And when Will was on the field, I mean, that Texas game, he was he he, he plays confidently. He flies around, and I I'll take that stuff for a safety more than anything. Guy that just trusts what he sees and reacts, and 
I, I think Will's the guy there, and I think it's going to be him, Stephen Parker, and Jordan Thomas, and Jordan Parker. Those yeah, are going to be your defensive backs. You know, with Sunderland, I think it counts for something, and maybe it was a lucky guess, but you know, the play that he made on the goal line against Texas, he said that it went back to film study and just knowing the play, the play that was coming, and you know, I think that counts for something, if not, if nothing, you know. We'll see. I'm, I'm not a fan. I'm not. No, I'm a huge Will Sunderland fan. I just, I, I don't believe sex than Will call. I don't believe that it was just like Night and a day mistake difference. by the coaching staff that he didn't play more as the year went on. I, I mean, I think there's probably some issues of either recognition or study habits or whatever, mental. I don't know, but. I, I don't know. I just, it seems funny to me that that he I, did become I, a bigger part of the, the defense. The Ahmad Thomas stuff that people because were, after that game, Mike Stoops told me he said we've got to find a way to get Will Sunderland more involved, yep. which says to me that they went into practices and tried to give him more, and he just didn't handle it well, and it, pro- it probably made his head start swimming. He probably regressed a little bit, and maybe he can use this spring to to kind of start getting that down. And if he does. I think he'll be a hell of a player. It makes me wonder, Kerry, did they come down to a question of, okay, we've got to find a way, and it's either we've, we've only got one position we can play with here, and we've got to choose. Is it going to be Caleb Kelly on the field, or is it going to be Will Sunderland on the field? That's a possibility. I and, think the other possibility is how in the world could we um, – yeah, no, no, I, I think that's exactly it. No, I, I really do. I'm going to stop myself. I mean, the and, only other option was taking Ahmad Thomas off the field, which I think a lot of people said, yes, do that. Do it. But you're not going to take a team captain off the field. Mm-mm. Yeah. That, mm. And, you know, we've all kind of had our thoughts about Ahmad and how he played as a safety. Um, but, I mean, he, he put up numbers at OU's Pro Day that were respectable numbers for a safety. I thought he had a good day. He put up numbers at Pro Day that made me think, why weren't you better? That's, yeah. that's a completely fair point. Uh, but he, there's also things like he had. I mean, I don't know. This 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 probably can't weigh in your decision making. But at some point, it has to at least on a subconscious level. He just had a kid. You know, I, you, you're gonna you know bench him while he just had a kid, been starting for you for four years, and as a team. If he's captain, not helping you, you better, or you're gonna get your not ass like fired. They take away your money if they bench you. I mean, I mean, Joe. In their mind, it does. If you have a child you, and go to sleep hippie. on us, fired. You hippie. <laughs> Joe, once again, this ain't show friends. trying to infect our show with his hippiness. I was just saying maybe subconsciously, that's all. Fake news, Can, can we talk about the haircut uh, comment yesterday? We need to get to that at the end. I thought that was one of Joe's stronger contributions to our group chat. Oh, about how you can't ever miss a haircut if you don't yeah. get one? If you don't actually get your haircut, I thought that was great. I, I got to give up a little, little love there. Josh, Josh used to love having the floppy hair back in the day. I did. I I miss it. If I if I, and it's you know, married guys know how this is. Like, it's not that Tiffany would tell me you can't do that because who the hell is she to tell me I can't cut my hair? But the constant conversations about it are just not worth it to me. <laughs> like, I loved your hair when it was short. It was so nice. So do you remember how like easy it was to dry and keep? God, I don't care enough to fight this fight, so I'll keep it short. That's fine. Okay, uh, we got to start wrapping this thing up. Uh, spring, like I said, getting ready to start next week. Bob Stoops will have his press conference on Monday. I know you guys are probably listening to this on the weekend. Uh, then 
first practice will be on Tuesday. Eddie and I will get to go out and shoot uh, some video and photo. Uh, and then we'll be interviewing players pretty much every day that they're practicing for the next two weeks. Uh, Josh, put, you got the scoop out early this morning. Uh, appreciate that. Uh, really, the, the note that you led with was on TJ Pledger. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, TJ Pledger, you know, for those that don't listen, you know, I always have to give these because Carrie, Carrie tells me I, I can't assume that people know things. Uh, TJ Pledger, uh, top five running back in the country, top 40 overall player in the country. And you're good. Uh, from, uh, from IMG Academy in Florida is, uh, he, he's had, they, IMG has their spring break next week. He is using his spring break or at least part of it to come visit Oklahoma. Now, I did not get that from TJ. I got that from talking to some various sources, and TJ wouldn't exactly say when he's going to visit because the belief has been for me for a while, whenever he took that next trip, he was going to commit to Oklahoma. And I think TJ's trying to uh, um, keep that a little under wraps. Now, yeah, maybe he'll shock me and he doesn't pull the trigger, but I think if TJ Pledger makes it to campus like I expect next week, that – Probably by the time we're podcasting again next week, he will be on Oklahoma's commitment list. Ooh, that's that's some that, that's my that's some juicy Why they juicy call it stuff. The sooner scoop, which would then mean Oklahoma in 2018 would have a quarterback Cameron Rising at a left tackle, they'd have Bray Walker, and at running back they'd have T.J. Pledger. Which that's a will they have a Lincoln Riley? That's a heck of a foundation for an offense. Uh, wow! Yes. And then Debbie Downer had yeah, to come to say, in. Just ruined the moment. <laughs> Josh, so uh, Pledger, how does he fit in with some of the guys that OU's brought in in recent memory? Where does he compare to you as far as recruit, like a Joe Mixon level or a Trey Sermon level? Where where does he kind of fit in that hierarchy? He's the most talented back OU will have signed since Mixon, in my opinion. Um, He is a – and I think more than anything, he really fits OU well. He's a guy that can catch the ball out of the backfield – He's going to do some. He's very good out in space. He's a one cut guy. I mean, like, he he does a lot of things that really fit OU to a T. And to the kid's credit, I think that's why he zeroed in on OU so early on. Uh, he saw it. He, under, he understands. And I also think a guy that we don't talk a lot about in this podcast that did a really good job is Jay Bolware. I mean, that he really, he's been on this kid since early. He identified three or four backs around the country. And really hammered, you know, he, he figured out Pledger was a guy he had a really good shot at early on, zeroed in on him, and now it looks like he's going to, you know, reap the benefit of that. So um, I think he's a really good back. I think he complements what OU has because he's not a, a downhill power guy like, you know, Trey Sermon. I've talked about Trey Sermon being a great receiver, but Trey Sermon's 6'2", 210. I mean, he's a guy that can make some hay between the tackles. So he's a, he's a guy that... Um, will compliment him and Rodney Anderson and some of the other players that are already there very well, in my opinion. I, I think a, a really good example of a compliment is Kennedy Brooks, who is a north-south, pure kind of runner, and Pledger can be that guy where you could do a two-back system, and I think he'd play pretty well off of Brooks. Almost like Alvin Kamara at Tennessee. Is that what kind of yeah, what I'm from you? Yeah, I think there's some comparison there, yeah. By the way, uh, and we – going to wrap this thing up here uh, and I want to just get your last few thoughts on recruiting here but um, just TJ Pledger the way you're talking about him it's really interesting to me watching what's going on like with Adrian Peterson uh, in the NFL that 
is it it seems like we're getting into an era where if you cannot catch the ball out of the backfield, like your value now, it's almost like the days of having a running back and running that offense that Minnesota ran with Adrian Peterson. I don't know that we're going to be seeing that type of offense again. It, it, you know, other than maybe you know wherever Les Miles ends up, but it just seems like anymore if you can't catch the ball as a running back, you really don't have a lot of value at any level of football. Unless you are Adrian Peterson and you are that big and strong and fast, and somebody could say, you know what, we're going to run it 25, 30 times a game with this guy, and he'll still put up 200 yards. Like, you better be that special if you can't catch the ball at this point, because that's that's just the direction the game is going. And that's why we talked about for weeks about how Joe Mixon was going to be so tempting to NFL teams because he's so freaking gifted as a receiver that he fits the NFL game as well as any backs that come out in years. You know what will test that more than anything is if Mixon goes before Fournette in the draft. Oh, my God. There will be some people that might go into cardiac arrest if that happens. It should happen. I, if, I, I'm not saying it shouldn't, but there's – I mean – If you're just talking about talent, it should happen. Yeah. Take, well, take the off-field thing out of it. How high does Joe Mixon go in this draft? Top 10? God, I think I, I, I think, think that's possible. I think it's completely possible. I think people possible. start – people are literally arguing about whether you take him or Dalvin Cook yep. if he doesn't have the off-field stuff. Yep. Oh, I think he'd go over Cook. I think he's a better receiver and he doesn't have the health issues. I don't know. I, I love that burst that Cook has. Oh, I, I you Dalvin Cook. I'm I'm front and center in his fan club. I really am. But it's just like I said, Mixon is so perfect for the NFL right now. I think Cook's a better runner though than Mixon is. Yeah, I think he's more instinctive. He's more natural. I think Joe. You know, it's what we always get into. We talk about him as an inside runner. Joe's so gifted, he can do some things that he probably shouldn't. And, and I he think gets he'll. Away with I think it. he'll get better as an inside runner. Oh yeah. Yeah, I, he, I Joe just I mean, I think back of guys like Marshall Falk or something. Like that. He could have a career like that if he finds the right place with the right quarterback where he can be a guy who would get you a thousand yards out of the backfield and a thousand yards receiving. And that's just I don't know for, for an NFL team. Eventually, I mean, it's gotten to the point where we know people are going to overlook the off the field stuff and he's going to get drafted. He's going to get drafted. So at that point, the teams have to start weighing. Well, look, if he's going to be playing in the NFL anyway, I want to be the one that has that talent on my team, and I think that's kind of where we're getting to as uh, the draft approaches for him. You say exactly. he needs a good how far are we going to fall on our sword for right. this thing? Exactly. He needs a good quarterback, but he also needs a good offensive line. If you don't get drafted into a team that has a decent offensive line, you're not going to do anything in this point. league. Sam has proven that. Yeah, I mean, look at any quarterback. I mean, it's almost in a really effed up way. It might help Mixon that he's not going to go in the top 10 because he can go to a team that's going to probably be pretty decent depending on what team it is. I mean, by the way, I wonder, I wonder, you know, the Vikings signing the Raiders back. Latavius Murray. Uh, if now that Mixon is not really a priority for the Vikings, like, I mean, that could hurt him. If they really, if they didn't get Murray, there's a, probably a good chance that they would have taken him as high as anybody would have taken him. Yeah. Which would have been uh, their first pick isn't until 43. 48. 48. Yeah. The Broncos just met with them too. And I, I'm going to call it now Raiders at 24. I could see it. Hometown kid. He fits. Yeah. yeah. He, hometown kid. He fits their needs. He comes by a great offensive lineman. He's got a quarterback. So, I mean, like that. You talk about like, a, like Ezekiel Elliott last year with the Cowboys. Like walking in, you're like, 
he's he's going to be the rookie of the yep. year. Like there, there wouldn't even be. I don't think there'd be an argument. And then he has Amari Cooper and Michael Crabtree on the outside. I mean, uh, exa- I mean that that's ridiculous. The weapons he'd have available, but to me, I, I, if you'd have told me a month ago, I would have thought that I don't know that he'll be there at twenty four. I've said this uh, to me. The Giants at twenty three is just a glaring. Holy crap! If that happens, yeah, then- that would be a huge. Mm-hmm. But once again, that's what we said from the beginning. We'd have to be totally wrong that no team like New York or L.A. would take a chance on him because of the baggage, like the owners, and not because you know the 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 coaches are too fragile or anything. But the owners in those type of market, like the Cronkies at L.A., just trying to get a new stadium and moving the team. They half, probably don't want to deal with having Joe Mixon on. Uh, half the time, I don't think Stan Kroenke knows what team he actually owns and what players are on his team. Yeah, he's like Trump. His son runs it. Stan Kroenke owns Arsenal. I have plenty of beef with Stan Kroenke. Okay, so, so we can just go ahead and uh, say Stan, Stan Kroenke probably needs to croak. I'll say that. As an Arsenal fan, I don't have a problem with that comment. I'm usually the voice of reason, but when it comes to my few teams that I pull for, I'm I'm as crazy as anybody. Uh, okay. Can I, I can I make one final more statement? Sure. I saw that Dana Jacobson is doing the sideline reporting in Tulsa. If she's doing the games, who's doing the bar? She's got a little drinking problem, doesn't she? She has a great drinking problem, but didn't I saw she, she's up in Tulsa this week. Didn't weekend. she give a drunk speech at the ESPYs or something once? She did, yeah. and she got fired. That's she was, why she's CBS working now. for CBS, yeah. Eddie, do you call that a problem? I feel like you would call that progress. She's got a drink in progress. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if she, like, <laughs> beats her husband. So, I mean, if she does that. It's, it's not the as drinking. As long as she's only problem. hurting herself, it's fine. It's yeah. what you do after the drinking. The yeah, drinking's long, not yeah, the problem. Fair. As long as you're just hurting yourself, I don't really see a problem with it more so than. I think people would embrace that. The sideline reporter holding a beer. I don't. I mean, it's sports, right? We're at the, uh, I think there she's, are rules against that. She's probably a. I don't think she's drinking beer. I think she's probably she's like a liquored up. Yeah, liquor. I wouldn't care. She could have gin, maybe of wine a, like yeah, that. definitely a couple bottles of red. She could have a gin and tonic. Oh, oh okay, okay. Uh, speaking of guys, talk about the perfect show for us to do drunk. St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, it's a good this good day. Been a home yeah, run of the problem day. is we started 10 at ten o'clock. Yeah, and I uh, gotta get a haircut. Oh, I could have gotten there. No problem. Could have gotten there. Ezekiel had no problem starting early last weekend. I, when I was eating dinner last week in Dallas at a uh, a pretty nice place, he came and sat in the booth next to us. Was this post assault? Yeah, it was post sexual assault. <laughs> he walked in the door. You started pulling your shirt up and. But I thought yourself. it was kind of awkward that he was wearing green, and you know how people in green love to commit sexual assaults, especially in Waco. So. Any oh, more fire takes, Eddie? <laughs> no, I'm out. The chamber is the chamber is it's empty. Spin. I could sing "Hell to the Victors" if you want, but that probably we'll save that for another day. Okay, uh, I'm just going to tell you this. Uh, for more of the latest in recruiting information, go check out the scoop uh, posted earlier this morning. Uh, our man Josh McQuistion on the scene with uh, the latest. A lot of recruiting getting ready to kind of kick up. We've got uh, our first rivals camp series coming up uh, March. For, or uh, April was April first and second. It's April second, second. Yep. Well, the com- I mean the combine and then the the camp the next day, right? Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, I always forget about the combine. You're right. So uh, yeah, that'll be coming up here in a couple of weekends. But spring football coming up as well. 
Uh, and that's going to do it for this edition of the Unofficial 40. Uh, I want to thank uh, to all our, our co-hosts, I'll call them, Josh McQuistian, Eddie Radosevich, Joe Duvall. I'm Kerry Murdoch. Uh, thank you guys. Have a great St. Paddy's Day. Be safe. I'm talking to you guys specifically. <laughs> Eddie, hey, I've made it back from Dallas. Uber is your friend. We'll be there Monday. Uh, Uber is everyone's friend all the time. Josh, uh, enjoy it. Uh, I'm sure. I don't know. Are you are you dressing Laney up? Will we see pictures later on Facebook? Yes, Lane. We had to find a green dress. We, Tiffany and I were um, uh, having a little uh, a drink yesterday before we went to pick Laney up. As awful as that sounds, God, that that really that's a sentence I want to have back. We saw our daughter. Yeah, 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 we're gonna go pick up our two-year-old with a little, little sauced. Um, Get a little no, meth in you we, next time. Yeah, we uh, stopped and we were. It was at a mall. Uh, the the restaurant was outside of a mall, and we were like, we don't have anything green for her, and so we had to go buy a, a green dress at the mall yesterday. So uh, she is in green dress and has uh, green barrettes in her hair. She is that. If that child's pinched, I'm gonna be straight pissed about it. Is so it, is it a green Michigan State shirt? No, there, there is no Michigan State. Uh, and, you know, it's really funny. It's one of the things I would have never expected for myself. Tiffany wanted to get her a green shirt. I was like, let's get her a green dress. I like the girl in dresses. I, I make her even more of a girly girl than Tiffany does. It's very strange. Joe, did you just want to point out that you're wearing a green Michigan State shirt? Uh, Sure, I can do that. I'm wearing a green shirt. Yeah. I uh, This is the uh, Michigan State's my team after uh, – uh, Mateen Cleaves won a national title and won me a bracket when I was like 11 years old. So they've been against the Eduardo Nahara led Oklahoma Sooners. You bastard. Yep, That's yep. a travesty. Yep. You know, the, this whole week I have spent a lot of time looking at spring break videos and pictures. Have you? On Old Row. And <laughs> there is nothing like college. I'll just say that. Yeah. Did it he, made uh, you nostalgic. Uh, Eddie, that's not real spring break video, buddy. Those those girls are uh, no. That's real. That's one hundred percent real. <laughs> Just let him have that's, his fantasies. That's the that, that's the college that I loved. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, Eddie is the bastard that we love, and we're out of here. Thanks, guys. I've already said the goodbyes. <laughs> we're not doing it again. So join us next week. We'll be back again for another episode of Unofficial Forty. Thanks for listening. Uh, go to iTunes. Give us a rating. We appreciate uh, everyone that's done that so far. Keep them coming. We'll see you guys next time on the Unofficial 40.